send another, and he would convict the world of, his sin, of their sin. And I just know there was a moment in my life when I just felt convicted of my sin, and I have since then. And that's where saving faith begins. And it's more than a, it's more than a head knowledge. I, I believe we're in a culture today where there's a lot of people that have a head knowledge. I think if we went to South Point Mall today and we begin to talk to people, and for those of you who have done street ministries, and in those times I've been to, spoke with friends, and the times I've spoken out in the deployments with Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, everybody knows the Lord. They'll tell you they do. But I get a sense they have a head knowledge. It hadn't gotten from here to here to give them that, that saving faith that convicts them. The question is often asked is, can you have faith but not have saving faith? That's a really, there's a lot of theological debate over that question. Can a person have faith but it not be saving faith? What if I ask this question? Can a person believe but it not be saving faith? I certainly think they can. I certainly think they can. James tells us that even the demons, you say, I believe in God, even the demons believe. And, they, and it actually, they don't even believe, they believe, but it also triggers a physical and emotional response, and they tremble. I believe in a church like ours, I'm going to knock things over and I'm going to hit this. I'm going to have to start using a wireless mic, I'm just telling you. I think when the Spirit of God begins to move, I believe there's times there's people that they may have an emotional response because it is an emotional experience. But I wonder sometimes, did they have a real transforming experience with the Lord? Did they move into saving faith? Dake said this. Finest Dake gave three ways in which a person is drawn to God. He said, people preach. People preach. The word goes out. Every Sunday morning here, the word goes out. In churches like ours and churches that, that preach the truth of the word of God, the word goes out. When Billy Graham, you know, he recently passed away, he preached to millions of people. And all those people heard. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit begins to convict. And then man's conscience condemns him. And that's what happened to me. I imagine it was something along those lines with you. Is that somebody was preaching somewhere, someone witnessed to you, and then all of a sudden you felt something within yourself that said, I need the Lord. And you come and you receive you know, Jesus, when Nicodemus came to him and said, and they had the conversation about being, and Jesus said, look, you must be born again. And he couldn't understand that. He's, how, how do I like, go back in my mother's womb? And, and, and Jesus said to him, no, look, flesh is born, gives birth to the flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. But he also said this. He said, that, you know, the wind comes and goes as it pleases. You can't see it, but we see its effect. He's talking about that being the spirit. The spirit moves where it will. It moves and it convicts on whoever it will. I can't see it, but I see its results on people. And I know its results on me. Saving faith, it is the gift of God by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. We don't have to work for it. I'm glad we don't have to work for it. We'll never be good enough for it. It is His gift. And it is him who sends the Holy Spirit out, who convicts, and it's his free gift. I can never talk about faith and coming to the Lord without saying this. It comes through repentance. It comes through repentance. 
We come into a saving faith and a saving knowledge of the Lord when we begin to repent and we repent of our sins. And then it produces a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new when they're saving faith. Now, I think sometimes, particularly uh, new Christians, they get, they get bogged down in this because what happens, they come to the Lord and they, and they hear that scripture, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And I believe that spirit becomes renewed, that spirit's born again. But then they say, then why do I still have some of these struggles that I've always had? Because that sanctification process sometimes takes some time. God begins to break, break those things off of us and those things begin to drop off of us. What I'm looking for is has there been some change of life and change of thinking does now the things that has now the things of God become important to them have the people of God become important to them has the word of God become important to them that's the kind of thing I'm looking for in a new creation I heard uh, I heard the pastor over at Raleigh First Assembly uh, give this three point test one time and I never forgot it because I use it a lot and it comes out of First John and if one of the things I think sometimes we as believers can struggle with, often new believers, is assurance. Have I, do I, am I saved? I, I'll tell you, sometimes that happens to me. Man, am I saved? It's a scary thought, really, when you, when you start to question your salvation. But if you, if you get to that point, or if you hadn't read in a while, read the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John is a book of assurance, I can tell you that. It is written by John, and it is written to Gentile believers, fairly new converts. Now, he's dealing with some heresy. There's no doubt about that. He's dealing with some heresy. But I also believe he must be dealing with a group of people who are wondering about their salvation experience. Because all throughout that book, these words are said, so you may know, so you may know, that you may know, that you may know. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, verse 13, he says this, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to wonder about it. We, we should know that we have eternal life. And I want to give you a three-point a three test you could ask of yourself. I use it sometime when I meet someone new, and if I'm witnessing to them or they, they claim to be a follower of Christ, I begin to kind of ask these questions about them in my mind to see what I'm, if, I, if I see what I believe to be saving faith. Number one, they have an aversion to sin. I believe that someone who's had saving faith come to the Lord is going to have an aversion. They're not going to no longer live in unrepentant sin. 1 John 1, 8, 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we're out of sin, we, de- we, we deceive ourselves. But if we sin, he's still faithful and just to forgive them. What am I going to confess it for if I'm going to just live in it and have no problem with it? I won't worry about confessing it. I'll just continue to do what I've always done because I don't think there's been a life change in someone who hasn't had saving faith. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I can tell a lot from people a lot of these days by their social media page, can't you? And if we had some more, we don't have, our young people are back there, but what I would tell them, and I've told some young people through the years, be careful what you put on them social media pages. Employers are checking them. We checked them. And more and more courts are saying that you can get the password to check them. 
But I can tell a lot by a person about what do they love, what's important to them. And John said, don't love the world. And we know what the world systems are. Instant self-gratification, no matter what. Money, power, prestige. We heard pastor preach on it. That's what the world loves. Does this person seem to still love that? And then, and then uh, next is First uh, John 3, 4 through 6. Everyone who sins, you read this in NIV, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that you may take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Once again, do they have an aversion to sin or are they just steeped in it? So when people come to me and they say, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian or whatever, and they're living with their boyfriends and girlfriends, they hate people of different races, they use foul language nonstop, they seem to be greedy, all the things that we see in people, I begin to wonder, I begin to question. That's the first part of that test. The next one, the next part of that three-part test, are they obedient and do they have a love for God's word? 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Now, now by this we know, once again, that we know that we, that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. Do they keep his word? Do they know his word? Do they want to read his word? Are they trying to grow in his word? That's the, that's the test I have for myself. That's the test I have for others. Do I have an aversion to sin? Do I, do I love God's word? Am I working and am I, am I pursuing to be obedient to God's word? And then lastly, a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 1 and 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. They wanted, they wanted, he wanted those fellow believers to know so we could have fellowship together. And that's what we do when we get together is we fellowship. And then 1 John three fourteen, we know, once again, there's that no word, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. There's a lot of scripture about how we're supposed to love one another. And if I'm around someone and they're always running down the body of Christ, critical of the body of Christ, dividing the body of Christ, I begin to ask myself, has this person had a salvation experience? Because I love my brothers and sisters. And I'm not going to run you down. I'm not going to backbite about you. And I'm not going to talk more. That's not what the Bible's called us to do. It's called us to build each other up and support each other. That's what he's called us to do. So that's the three-part to us. Having a version of sin, obedient to God's word, and love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a general test of how we can know that we have saving faith. Saving faith. Next is genuine faith. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9. First Peter 1, 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. 
reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Now I'm going to stop there just a second. So what Peter is saying is, listen, we have a great inheritance. Heaven is our home. Christ has died and risen again, and through that we have salvation. In that we rejoice. In that we will always rejoice. Nothing will ever change that. In that we rejoice. He says this then, though now for a little while, if need be, and and listen to that word if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at 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 the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, we just come off a uh, a revival. We had a man like Dr. James Lee here. Miracles. He's out all over the world and sees miracles. And when we see things like that happen, or we hear about things like that happening, And then we prayed for people here, and we saw some wonderful things. Tammy's neck was touched, and she still feels great. And I thank God for that. But we see other people come up and get prayed for. And we see that now in our churches today. And we don't see certain people get healed. And it makes us start to have questions. And it makes us sometimes start to question maybe, is it us? Is it our faith? Is that what type of faith that the world is looking for? Well, listen listen to what Peter said. He said, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He uses the word there, trials. He doesn't use tribulation, and he doesn't use persecution. The word trials there, various trials, is, is common. It's the common uh, issues that we all deal with as mankind. And you know what? Guess what? And I'm going I'm to tell you something I know you know already. We, we're not exempt from that as believers. I'm, I'm looking at every person out here, and if I went through each one of you, I guarantee you each one of you have told me that you have faced a trial, you are facing a trial, and if not, I can promise you one thing, you will be facing a trial. We're not exempt from it. Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 5.45, he said, that You may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We all, the, all mankind right now lives under the grace of God. All mankind right now is not getting what they deserve and, and, and has, can be a candidate to receive what they... Uh, we're not getting what we, what we deserve and, and also under uh, his grace where we're not getting what we do deserve. That day's going to change one day. But right now, we're not exempt from those trials of life. And that's what Peter was talking about here, is those trials. And it can, and it can cause frustration. And I don't have time tonight, but if you want, to, you want to read a psalm of frustration, read Psalm 73 or Psalm 10 when you get home. And listen to King David, especially in Psalm 73. Basically what he's saying is, you know, the wicked are out here and they're prospering. Everything's going great for them. they got plenty of money. They're doing fine. They're, not, they're healthy. And here I am. I'm serving God. I'm trying to do what's right. You know, I think about Pastor Don. He's preached for almost 50 years. His son has to have the aneurysm. I have to go through this, and everybody else's son's doing good, not serving God. That can be very frustrating. It was frustrating for David. He wrote a whole psalm about it. But, but we, we're all right now under the age of grace. But what does that trial produce for the Christian? What does it do for our Christian walk? Let's take a look at it. Peter said, if need be, 
There might be a need for the trial. I don't know this in every case, but let's take a look at, at, at some of the needs that trials may, may meet. First, discipline. Listen to one, Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I don't, has anybody here that has ever known anyone that got drawn back to the Lord because of an affliction, because of a trial, something in life, shook them, and they came back? Well, I did. My whole family did. My whole family's a testimony to that. My mom, at 30 years old, beautiful lady, got breast cancer. Had, a, had to have a mastectomy. And back then, they didn't do it very well. And my mom and dad went and serving the Lord. A Church of God preacher came up to that hospital and prayed for my dad. He got saved. And when he got saved, he got saved. And life changed. And my whole family was brought back to the Lord because my mom had breast cancer. And you know... My dad's the one who really went through that. She, she did okay for many years after that, but then she had many years of illness. And I was only a 13-year-old boy then, and so I didn't understand a lot of those things. But she's gone on now. And then one day when I see her in heaven, if by some chance Christ told me that that was what brought us back, it would have been worth it then, it would be worth it then to know that that's what it took to bring us back to where he wanted us. My dad was raised in church. He, he knew. So I don't know, but sometimes trials might be discipline. Sometimes trials might be spiritual growth. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. This is Apostle Paul. He said, At least I should be exalted, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, there's Apostle Paul, okay? I mean, he had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. And he had a thorn in his flesh. And there's all types of commentary over there about what that is. I don't think anybody really knows. But whatever it was, he prayed three times that God would take it away from him. But he didn't. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He was trying to grow Paul through something. And maybe that trial that you go, you go through or will go through or are going through, maybe he's trying to grow you through something. James 1, 2 through, through 4 tells us the same thing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. You know, I think sometimes as Christians too, we read that particular scripture when it says count it all joy. I think if we're not careful, we can feel bad when we're going through a trial of life like, you know, Brother Wallace. Look what he's going through. I don't imagine he's sitting back going, thank, I, thank, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm glad I've got cancer. I'm glad I'm sick. I'm glad. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. But you talk to people, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, who've walked through the trials of life. And they see where God has brought them through it. And they look back on that somehow and there's the joy of knowing that the Lord was there with them and saw them through it. That's where we get to count it as the joy. Not while we're in the heart of it. But once again, it, 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 it creates patience in us. And when patience has its perfect work, that we may be complete, lacking nothing. Trials are not easy. I think about the story of Job. They're not easy. Some of you have been through them. I know some of you have been through them. 
I know you, you, some of the things you faced, and I know they weren't easy. Trials are controlled by God. The story of Job. You know, Job had everything. Job was wealthy. He was healthy. He had it all. And then Satan came along. And God said, you consider my servant Job? He said, I would, but you've got this hedge of protection around him. Everything's going great in his life. Remove it, and he'll curse you, and he'll curse you. And God removed it. God didn't bring those things. God does not bring those things, but he lets them happen. He's in total control of everything. He's in total control of the trial of your life or whatever trial you may face. And he's got something for you on the other side. I told my Sunday school class, when I, do, when I teach something like this, this is hard because God's been good to me. I can honestly stand here before you and say, I don't think I've faced a trial of life that I consider life-altering like some of you have. I haven't lost a spouse I haven't faced, I haven't had a doctor tell me I have cancer. I hadn't lost a, a child. Some of you, as I look around, some of you have done all those things. But you know what I find interesting about it is you sit right here on a Wednesday night even in spite of that. And to me, that shows genuine faith. It shows genuine faith. In verse 7 of that, uh, of 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9, Peter uses the illustration of a goldsmith that uses fire to burn out impurities. It has been said that the eastern goldsmiths kept the metal in the fire until he could see his face reflected in it. The Lord may keep us in the furnace until we reflect his glory. And I know that's hard. And I know, as I, once again, as I read that, I thought, Lord, will I feel that way when, I, when it's my time in the fire? That you're just trying to refine me and make me reflect your glory? But he may very well have you in the fire to reflect his glory. Romans 8.18 Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Trials of life test our faith. They show its sincerity. As I mentioned before, I have seen many of you, Pastor Don, my dad, you know, within 10 years, my father lost his wife, had to have a couple surgeries, Remarried, and he told me himself he, I, he missed God on that. And that marriage did not turn out well. She ended up leaving. Then had prostate cancer. All these things within 10 years. And I thought, you know, if, if somebody had been able to come up to him and say, Larry, this is what's going to happen to you. I think he might have said, and I'm, if I knew I was facing that over the next 10 years, I'm going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't know if I can handle that or not. But step by step, he handled it. And on the, on, the, on the other side of each trial, just like you did, trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in God. What's the world looking for? Yeah, they're looking for miracles. They want to come in and show me something miraculous. Remember, remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They came to Jesus. Show me a sign, Lord. And he said, he, he told them about the weather. He said, you can determine the weather, but you can't figure this out. He says, it's a wicked generation that seeks a sign. People will come seeking things from the Lord all the time. But I tell you what will show genuine faith, that something's real about this. When the places where you are, when your workplaces, your family, wherever it is you have influence, when they watch you walk through the trials of life, just like they do, but they watch you come out on the other side, still trusting, still in church, still serving God, it makes people pause and say, there must be something to this. There must be something to this. And Peter said, it's genuine faith. Genuine faith. I want to read something to you from um, Johnny Erickson Tata. Everybody know her? Johnny Erickson Tata 
as a young girl, she grew up in an athletic family. I found out something a little interesting about Johnny Eric Toss I did not know. Um, her dad recently got inducted into the Wrestling Hall of Fame, and I know that. He was on the Olympic wrestling team in the 1930s. But she, and she's named after him. A lot of people call her Joni, J-O-N-I. Her name is Johnny because she's named after her daddy. And uh, she dove into a shallow pool of water in, when she was a teenager. Hit, like my friend Marty, hit and broke her neck. She's a paraplegic now. And she's been on the evangelical talking circuit for many, many years. And so I watched her testimony and she said, you know, like I think we all would, she went through the cycle of anger, you know, depression, suicidal thoughts, all the things that I think we would all go through in something like that. You know, healthy, young, bang, in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And she's since had breast cancer. I mean, life has been hard on her. But she's on this Christian talking circuit now. And she said, she, and you know what she said in her testimony? She said she had recently prayed, look, God, whatever it takes, let me be closer to you, be more like you. And then that happened to her. And she... You know, in her testimony, she's like, that's not really what I meant, if that's what it took. I think we could have come up with another way. But I want to read something to you that she said. She said, in a way, I wish I could take to heaven my old tattered Everston Jennings wheelchair. I would point to the empty seat and say, Lord, for decades I was paralyzed in this chair, but it showed me how paralyzed you must have felt to be nailed to the cross. My limitations taught me something about the limitations you endured when you laid aside your robes of royalty, and put on the indignity of human flesh. At that point, with my strong and glorified body, I might sit in it, rub the armrest with my hands, and look up at Jesus and add, the weaker I felt in this chair, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned, the more I discovered how strong you are. Thank you, Jesus, for learning obedience in your suffering. You gave me grace to learn obedience in mine. I don't want to go through this to have to come to that point. Your pastor often says, don't, don't say God humbled me because he knows how to do it. But I wanna, I'm hoping that when my time comes that I can walk through those trials and my genuine faith can show through as many times yours has. That's what shows genuine faith. Saving faith, genuine faith, and lastly is miraculous faith. Miraculous faith. This is commonly referred to as the gift of faith. That Paul gave all the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of faith, uh, wisdom, knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, all those things. One of those gifts was faith. Doc, Dr. Uh, Hayford said that, 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 is, that this is what this is. It's a unique form of faith that goes beyond natural faith and saving faith. It supernaturally trusts and does not doubt with reference to the specific matter involved. It is a faith that is supernaturally given. Now, I think people can function in it now. I, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've ever functioned in the gift of faith. There's times that I feel my faith stronger than others, and then quite frankly, there are other times I just don't think I have the faith to do nothing with. And G, Jesus said it just takes the faith of a mustard seed. Well, if that's all it takes, I'm in trouble because I think I got as much faith as a mustard seed, and I just don't seem sometimes that, that, that I just let doubt rule my thinking on, on things. But there are times, and I think it's supernaturally given from the Lord, when there is the gift of miraculous faith. In the Bible, I'll give you a couple examples. The first is the stoning of Stephen in Acts seven fifty four through 60. 
If you hadn't read Acts 7 in a while, if you want to just read a good Cliff Notes version of the Old Testament, read Acts 7. Because what has happened is Stephen, uh, Stephen has been taken by the council, the, the religious leaders of the day. He's drugged before them. And he basically lays out how they got to their faith and where they are. He goes all the way back to Abraham, and he brings it all the way through to where they are now into the new covenant. And But then he looks over at those religious leaders, those arrogant religious leaders, and he says, look, has there ever been a prophet you didn't kill? Now here he is. He's standing in front of people. He knows they will stone you for this. But he says, has there ever been a prophet that you didn't kill? You stiff-necked bunch of religious leaders. That's what he said. And you know what happened? The Bible says they gnashed their teeth and they tore their clothes and they grabbed him. And it says, Stephen, full of faith and power. They drug him out. And you know what he said? He looked up and he saw the Heavenly Father and Jesus at his right hand. And they stoned him to death. That's what happened to Stephen. Let me read it. He said, when they heard, heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at he- at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as well as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he, had, when he had said this, he fell asleep. That takes miraculous faith. That takes miraculous faith to get drug out. You know, we read about stoning as if it's no big deal. Could you imagine being stoned to death? Could you imagine being tied up and rocks thrown at you until you died? And then can you imagine that the people who are sitting there doing it to you, that you last, with the last breath of your body, you say, don't charge your sin against them. Now we know the Lord did that for us and for his, for his uh, um, the people who crucified him. But here is Stephen doing it again. It takes miraculous faith to do that. And then as we look through uh, Hebrews 11 and the halls of faith, Abraham, I mean, listen, I can't, I can't imagine God saying, Larry, I want you to sell everything you've got. I've got a town in California I want you to go to. I know you don't know nobody there, but I want you to go. And I'll say, okay, Lord, it's going on the market tomorrow. Gone. I, I don't, I, what? What are you talking about? This is where my house is. This is where my home is. No, I want you to build this boat. And it's not going to rain for seven years or ever how long it was to build this boat. Building the boat. Building, everybody's laughing at building the boat. Building the boat. Not, not having one moment thought about it. Rahab, a prostitute, she knew, if I let these guys know, if I help them, this may cost me my life. But at that moment, she was functioning in that supernatural faith. It still happens today. Um, Last week, Chris McKeel, a friend of mine, you've heard me speak to him a couple times, he he gives from time to time to a a group called the Voice of the Martyrs. Had you all heard of the Voice of the Martyrs? And since he does, he got some tickets to a, a previewing of a movie that's coming out called Tortured for Christ. And um, so he asked us if we wanted to go, and we said sure. So we went out and ate, and it was at playing at South Point. And when they sold these tickets, what they did, they said, we don't know if we'll show it. It depends on how many people respond that they're coming. I was really pleased. That movie theater was really almost full 
of people that were in there to watch this. The story is about a man named Richard Wormbrand. Has anybody ever heard about this? I hadn't either. This happened back in the 40s. He wrote the book. Richard Wormbrand was a Jew. He was converted. He was saved. He was a Lutheran priest. Lived in Romania during during World War II. Uh, The Russians came in, took over. Communism took over. And atheism became the state religion. And it became illegal to speak the name of Christ. And I've got a trailer here I'm going to play for you in just a minute. Before I do, I want to mention a couple things about it. Uh, it's only about a minute and uh, 40 seconds. I tell you what, I'm going to have Mark go ahead and play the clip and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the clip. In August 1944, Soviet Russians took Romania, spoils of the Second World War. The communists declared atheism the official state religion. One man dared to speak out against it. Scuzați-vă, scuzați-vă, aș dori să iau cuvântul. Comunismul i-a transformat pe frații noștri în martiri. Ajunge, ajunge! Iisus a fost batjocurit de cei care îl spune. Ajunge! Ajunge! He would spend 14 years in a communist prison. of the Martyrs comes the dramatic testimony of Pastor Richard Wormbrand, as told in the international bestseller, Tortured for Christ. So, you know, when you watch a movie like that as an American Christian, you walk out of there feeling about that big. Because you ask yourself, what would I do? This man was, this man was kidding just a couple things about the movie. I don't know if they're going to bring it back around or play it. You can get the book now and read it. The book's been out for a while. But he had supernatural faith. For 14 years, he was in a Romanian prison, tortured, because he would not deny the name of Christ, and he would not give up the name of the underground churches. And when they, when they captured him, they took his wife, they put her in hard labor, she, she was sentenced to hard labor, so his son was taken care of by underground churches. One of the scenes in there, it was, a, it was someone else that they had captured in one of the underground churches, and they were, they were torturing him, and they brought his son in and hung his son up, young boy. And as they, as they started to beat his son, then the man said, I'll tell you what you want to know. And the 14-year-old son said, no, no, Dad, don't, no. You keep preaching Christ as long as you can killed him right there you know and and one of the the, if you saw one of the first things they did was put him in a box this Richard Wormbrand where he stood up and was just nails all through it so he had to stand like this for 14 hours couldn't move beat the bottom of his feet you saw how bad they beat the bottom of his feet but never never did it's got to be miraculous faith 
It's got to be. And I, I just, Chris and I talked about it. I just believe that there's a point that if we're faced with that, that God will come along and provide us that miraculous faith. And he tells some tell If you want to Google him sometime, he, you can hear him tell his story. A couple of times how he miraculously saw what the visions of heaven in his jail cell. The last scene you saw, if you saw that, they opened the door and the jailer walked in. And it beaten him up bad. And what happened there when the jailer walked in, the jailer said, we've taken your family from you. We've taken everything you own from you. You're still praying to this God. What more could you pray for? And, the, and, he, said, and he looked at the jailer and said, I'm praying for you. And, you know, when I walked out of there, I just got I said, man, would, would I do that, God? Do I have that kind of miraculous faith? And I have to tell you right now, right now where I stand, no. But I pray that he'd give it to me if I need it. And I think he gave it to them. He certainly gave it to Saul. And he gave it to those heroes of faith. That's one of his gifts that he will, he will give to us. Saving faith, genuine faith, which I see all the time by many of you, and miraculous faith. I'm going to get Mark to start the music, and uh, let's come up and pray for a little while. I have his name up here, the guy in that movie, if you want to get it. Like I said, if you Google it, you can see some of his uh, testimony directly from him. So we're going to pray.